I'm not sick or struck dumb But don't you know a kick, kick, kick When you see one can't quit We're not done We're gonna kick, 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 kick Till the next one Welcome one and all to The Kick This is a brand new movie podcast on the Now Playing Network I am your host First name Chance, last name Unpronounceable Our mission on this show is to embark on themed miniseries, or kicks if you will, as in uh, I'm on a Sword and Sandals movie kick, or I'm on a John Woo kick, or as is actually the case on our first series here, a superior sequels kick where every guest brings us a sequel they prefer to the original film. My guest today is a wonderful film writer and made one of my favorite appearances on the old podcast. You can find his bylines at Vanity Fair, Mike, and elsewhere. Uh, By way of introducing the guest and his film, I will share three things I suspect he believes based on his film choice. Uh, He will not confine his fandom simply to one biome. No one can teach you to see, and the way of Cameron has no beginning and no end. Here to talk about Avatar The Way of Water, it's John DeLillo. Hello! Hi, Chance. Thanks for having me. I am very happy to have you. Thank you for your time and... uh, your incredible investment in in watching bonus features and <laughs> documentaries about the movie that you're going to talk about today. Um, so, John, I'll, I'll open with this. When I think about the two Avatar movies, I think of their universal theme, their primary theme, as being discovery. So I wanted to ask, when did you discover that uh, you love these movies? Uh, well, I saw the first Avatar in December of 2009. Um, when when it came out and the the funny story of me and avatar is uh, as i was 11 years old um and my mother wouldn't let me see the new robert downey jr sherlock holmes movie she told me it was scary and there was a serial killer in it and she didn't want me to have nightmares i was I was devastated because I was a big Robert Downey Jr. fan and a big Sherlock Holmes fan as a weird kid. And, sure. and, uh, and so that was a shattering discovery when my, my father picked me up after school and was like, I know you thought you were going to see Sherlock Holmes, but we're actually going to see this movie Avatar. And uh, all I knew about Avatar was the now I think kind of iconic uh, The Way of Water kind of duplicated the teaser poster for Avatar with this, you know, half half face of a of a blue person and so all i knew was there's a blue person in this movie um mm. and I'll, I'll never forget seeing it at the crummy multiplex the sound didn't work for the first two or three minutes um which today would be like a source of incredible stress for me but at the time i was like this is an interesting choice you know <laughs> um and my my dad stood up to go and and try to get them to fix it and then it, it, it fixed itself and then we sat down and, and saw the movie in 3d and it was it was a a powerful experience for for an eleven year old kid. I I mean pe- the the phrase like our generation Star Wars gets tossed around a lot, and uh, I think our generation Star Wars is probably just Star Wars. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but Avatar I think is is probably as close as you get to an argument for that as like a movie that made me go, how did they make that? What's happening here? Those are great questions, and what a great age to I would have been. 19 which is probably the worst age to see (laughs) because you're at your most cynical you're at your most like looks funny everyone's talking so sentimentally you would have been that's a sweet spot right there 
It really was. And uh, as like a budding cinephile who was just starting to pay attention to things like the Oscars, I was like, well, Avatar will win Best Picture, obviously. And I didn't even watch the ceremony, I remember, but I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, Avatar didn't win Best Picture. So that was like another coming of age moment of like, you know, there are other things out there than just what you like. (laughs) Sure. and But your mom did let you see Hurt Locker, right? No, (laughs) she did not let me see Hurt Locker. I don't think I even asked to see Hurt Locker. (laughs) Um, so John, you're here to talk about Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows is your superior sequel. Um, um, okay. I want to bring people up to speed for anyone who needs a refresher on Avatar 2009 and to get us into Avatar 2. Here we go. John, interrupt me if I'm getting anything wrong here or you (laughs) want to add a crucial bit of detail. This is a very, this is a very funny movie to be like, how can I, how can I sum this up in three sentences? Um, so we're going back to the first one here. A military grunt from Earth named Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington. He lands on this gorgeous, lush, far-off moon planet called Pandora, where he is asked by this sort of corporate science military entity to infiltrate and assuage an indigenous population called the Navi. They're blue, they're tall. They have a scientifically and spiritually symbiotic, symbiotic relationship to all life on Pandora via their deity, Awa. And uh, Jake, of course, is exploring Pandora in a Navi body, an avatar, if you will. Um, He quickly falls for Neytiri, who is a Navi from the Omotakaya clan. She's played by Zoe Saldana. He begins to embrace the Navi ways. And and talk about a quick study. He he becomes a clan-uniting savior of the Navi people, riding a winged beast. Um... Then the mercenary Colonel Quaritch, played by Stephen Lang, who gave Jake this mission, is, is not too psyched about his uh, discoveries. Quaritch and the planet colonizers destroy Home Tree, where all the tree people live, the Navi tree people. Uh, they get into a showdown in the floating mountains of Pandora. The humans lose and go home with their tail between their legs. Although, not, not a joke, Navi have the tails, humans don't. Um, Quaritch takes two arrows to the chest and dies. Jake and Natiri live on, live happily. So then we get to Way of Water, which comes out in winter 2022. Uh, you know, it's, it saves, after, after Top Gun Maverick, I think you could argue it saves the box office from the ravages of COVID-19. Uh, that movie crosses the $2 billion mark, uh, four Oscar nominations. I'm going to give the IMDb synopsis to Way of Water. Uh, John, if you would, I'd like you to rate this synopsis. Tell me how good it is, because people... Yeah. Other guests often complain about the quality of IMDb synopses, which means, should I stop using them? Maybe, but they're kind of entertaining when they're bad. Here's Way of Water. Jake Sully lives with his newfound family formed... Oh, Jesus. I hadn't read this out loud before. Jake Sully lives with his newfound family formed on the extrasolar moon Pandora. <laughs> Once a familiar threat returns to finish what was previously started, Jake must work with Neytiri and the army of the Navi race to protect their home. Pretty much the same synopsis as the original, you could you could argue, which I'm sure that that's a that's a complaint some people have about this movie, but sure. Um I think that's the selling point, but the um yeah, no, I I don't know, a rating uh it's really poorly written, but I also think it sounds like the same synopsis that I heard like before the movie came out. So I have a feeling it's just a studio flack, like struggling to be like, okay, so we got to bring in the family. We got to mention X, Y, and Z. Yeah. 
I'm going to have nightmares about saying the phrase newfound family form, trying to think about what what that means. Um, Okay, so I also have a little breakdown of what I feel Way of Water repeats from Avatar 2009 and what it adds. Let's get into that, and then quickly the floor will be yours. Okay, so what does the Way of Water repeat from the first Avatar movie? I would say uh, the same reverence for the diverse ecosystems of Pandora and the god Ewa. Uh, it repeats the callous brutality of the Sky People, aka humans, uh, who return to Pandora as scavengers and colonists. We get more narration from Jake Sully. We get more expert bow and arrow work from Neytiri. Um, we get another violently harvested substance that is being shipped back to Earth for millions of dollars a vial. We get another knockdown dragout brawl with Colonel Quaritch, though this time he is in a Navi body. Uh, from director James Cameron, of course, we get the same incredible hit of color and natural majesty, despite the fact that not a single leaf or cloud that appear in this movie ever existed in any practical form. Uh, we get uh, Sigourney Weaver back, though this time she is playing a different character, Sully's adopted daughter, Kiri, who can tap into Awa like some kind of spiritual super connector. What does Way of Water add or change? Well, we have twice the facial motion capture cameras. We get some higher frame rates. We get uh, a kind of underwater mocap that did not even exist when the first movie came out. Uh, Way of Water adds uh, reef people, aka the Metkayina, with whom the Sullys take refuge when Quaritch returns to hunt them. We get Sully's four kids, and in turn, some teenage crushes. When they go to live with the Reef people, we get about 30 more minutes. <laughs> we add a boy named Spider, who was left behind when the humans evacuated. He is the unacknowledged son of Colonel Quaritch. Uh, and we up the creature game a little bit uh, to include Tolkoons, these enormous whale-like creatures that are said to have greater emotional intelligence than humans. They are a veritable family to the Metkayina Reef people. Uh, notably, the Tolkoon are forbidden from killing save for an outcast called Payakon, who develops a special bond with Loak, Jake's second son, who's always making mistakes in the eyes of authority figures. Mistakes like bonding with an outcast whale. Dad, I know you think I'm crazy. But I feel her. I hear her heartbeat. Just so close. So what does her heartbeat sound like? Mighty. John, why in your mind is Avatar The Way of Water a superior sequel? Why this choice? I think I'm immediately going to push back on the concept of your show a little bit, which which might be a problem for you. But I think of this movie more... Do it. As I, I, there are a lot of people, I feel like, last year who came out when, when, when this movie came out, were like, I didn't really care for the original Avatar, but this one is undeniably like a great movie. Um, I'm not on that on that page at all. I, I think that the original Avatar is is like a seismic, incredible Titanic, no pun intended movie. Um, and I think that this one is it's overused. The Empire Strikes Back of the series in that it refines everything that worked about the original, adds new wrinkles that are um, that that make things if if not more complicated, 
narratively than more complicated thematically. And um and just on an on an on an ownage level adds more and more and more ownage than than the original has. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, I, I think that this is as good as the original, which for me is as good as as most sequels can get. Um but in terms of I also think there's obviously a technical leap that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but the facial capture in this movie, um, I watched the original last week and that movie holds up incredibly well, considering it's 15 years old and most of it is digital. Most of it is, is, is CGI. And then I, I threw on both the way of water and then a do- the documentary about way of water, uh, inside Pandora's box, which comes with the 4k. And, um, that's a plug for the 4k. Um, and, uh, and they'll show a clip from way of water and then immediately following a clip from, from the original avatar. And it, it made me go, Oh, is the original avatar look bad, but it doesn't, it just, it just looks that much less insane and refined, uh, than this one does. They've, they've made huge advancements in, in facial capture. The, they'll show these insane close-ups of the actors' faces with little dots all over them and the way that their muscles will move. And it, it blows my mind. We, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about the, the te- technical elements of the movie. But the other thing that I think is an undeniable step up from the original, and I, I'm saying this not in a backhanded way, is is there are probably twice as many characters in this movie. And I think there are the strong contenders for my favorite character in both of the movies, you know, going down from like first build to sixth build. It, it, I, I do think that that is just an undeniable uh, change, especially from a movie that a lot of people said was, you know, threadbare in terms of character, which I would, I would push back on, <laughs> but, um, but I, I don't think you can say that about this one. In talking about sequels, I think, one of the things we've hit on in this series is like, what school of sequel does this movie belong to? Is it like a reinvention? Is it a blowout of the first movie? Is it sort of a curveball reaction to the first movie? Is it like pure continuity? What school of sequel do you think this it's one's coming refinement. from? Refinement. Um, you were talking yeah. about all the things that the original um, includes that this one brings back. The main thing that I think this one brings back is the structure of the original, which is a kind of clunky-ish first half an hour introducing you to, or reintroducing you in this case, to the world and the characters. And then a middle hour and a half, or this one, it's it stretches on for quite a while, maybe even longer than that. That is just sort of exploring the world, the characters learning something new about, in the first one, the forest, in the second one, the ocean, learning how to live in that way, how to operate how to how to ride how to do all of these different things and <laughs> i'm not going to say that they're that the middle acts of the avatar movies are like slow cinema but they're as close to hangout movies <laughs> as as 200 and 300 million dollar blockbusters get um you you have these stretches of the movie where there's conflict under the surface but all of a sudden as the third act kicks into gear um you know things go off the chain um and and this one in particular, I because I had seen it only twice in theaters, and um, so this was my first time at home where I could pause it and be like, "Oh, um, the moment in this movie where we realize that the Tolkien or the Pyakon is being hunted, and the third act begins in earnest, the climax is like a full hour left of the movie." Oh it's, yeah, it's truly like the first one is like a full maybe thirty to forty minutes of action, and this one 
adds an extra 20. Uh, I remember when he was on the press store, he was like, you can go to the bathroom. You'll see the the bit that you miss when you come back to see it a second time. And I think, uh, <laughs> well, that that's a, that's just a baller thing to say, but, um, but yeah, I don't know if I, did I answer your question? I think it's a, refinement. you did a refinement. How did it play at home for you? You know, I, uh, even among, I look, I, I feel like I sound like a sore winner a lot. Um, cause I've been banging the for <laughs> avatar literally for like five or six years now. I was, I right. was named avatar guy at college in college. Um, oh, nice. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was a, it was a well-meaning nickname, but it was, it was also an apt nickname and it, it did make me think I should probably, you know, pull back a little bit, but well, yeah, and who is the no. real you if you're Avatar guy? <laughs> every, every every James Cameron movie, um, it's it's a tradition now. He gets people go, is this going to be the one that is just a total disaster? And I and I was for the one in my friend group in my you know college classes banging the drum of like, no, he doesn't miss when he has this much money on the line. It it, it just it brings out the best in him, and this movie will be great, and it will disprove the cultural impact thing that i'm that i know we'll talk about later um uh, and and so i did win unfortunately for me because i because now i have to be like chill and cool about it and not like a sore winner but um oh god how did i get on that little tangent i'm thinking uh something about i'm so sorry you won no no it's, it's i'm really so fun. sorry that you and big really jim won no but um what was the question you asked me that got me on that how it played at home oh so <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> yeah so um i feel like even after the year that i've had where everyone is kind of avatar pilled now pandora pilled and i have to you know be more be more humble about it um mm -hmm. there are still people who are like i love avatar but it only really plays in a theater and that has never been my experience i have seen the original at home you know probably half a dozen times and every time uh when the animals when the uh the animals start attacking the rda forces trying not to send to I, I almost said titanofear there um which is which is the name is that one of the animals and names big hammerhead rhino um let it let it fly dude yeah I, it just almost came out and i was like that's just gonna sound absolutely awful when natiri says awa has heard you which there's an uh there's a there's an anecdote from the original oscar campaign of steven spielberg's watching that in like an empty screening room and standing up and cheering alone when that happens. Um, I have no idea if that's true, but I'd like to believe it is. Um, and it has been my experience watching the original at home pretty much every time. And this one, exactly the same. Just, I I don't even have a particularly big TV. I just think um, the spectacle of these movies is what gets shouted out even in positive reactions. But what keeps me coming back to them is the way that the performances are captured. And some would say maybe enhanced by the the digital by the incredible work of the animators at, at weta um there are so many images of just like a character's eyes that i come back to over and over again in these movies because that's the spectacle that really blows me away that that he that he continues to get away with where i'm watching natiri or jake or kiri loak all of these new characters and I'm like, it's crazy that they got these guys. Like, you know, what's what's Jake Sully's quote? Because they went to Pandora and they filmed him. It's just a real thing. It's insane. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it played incredibly well, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. That's great. Um, all right. I have five big questions for you. Please. One, John, I do. I, from the last time we talked, when we when we talked about a movie no one has spoken about since Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, 
but also just reading your writing over the years. I, I think of you as a great uh, thinker and assessor of like franchises and our modern franchise culture and, and, and how often they go awry and how when they don't and they get things right, how exciting that is. So I'm curious if we can apply that lens a little bit to what does the Avatar franchise get right that maybe uh, run-of-the-mill, slumping old Hollywood franchises these days, IP-based stuff does not? I think there are three things that keep these movies fresh. Number one, there's a singular vision behind them um, at a time where, especially post-George Lucas selling Star Wars, I, I, I struggle to think of another franchise operating at this level that is coming from one person's brain. Um, even a Dune, which I know this is sort of all tied to, is is Frank Herbert's brainchild being filtered through Denis Villeneuve's sensibilities. This is James Cameron unfiltered with the help of an incredible team of, of designers and VFX artists and actors. Um, the second thing is time. I think because of that singular vision, James Cameron has the um, has the capacity to to say to a to a studio head, "I'm sorry, I'm going to make." an Avatar movie, I promise you're going to get it, but it's not going to be this quarter and it's not going to be next quarter and it's not going to be next quarter. And that's not something that was the case with Star Wars kind of famously in 2019. I remember Bob Iger pushed for that last Star Wars movie to come out in his retirement year. Um, and it worked out great. It worked out perfectly well. Everything <laughs> everything went really well there. But James Cameron, he has the time to take 13 years of, of research and development on these movies. It's 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 an it's an absurd undertaking and it and it lends itself to movies that have a lot of thought behind them which not not every big blockbuster modern blockbuster does and the third thing i think which is something that i think is is a little bit more in vogue lately um especially like you mentioned top gun maverick um other movies like that uh is sincerity these movies are achingly sincere it makes them very easy to make fun of but it also makes them I think deeply powerful and emotional experiences and they are never, there is never a moment in these movies that is there are, there are jokes in these movies. There are, there are laugh lines and there are, you know, corny child characters, but they are never going to undercut an emotional moment with a gag. Um, it's just not how he operates. It's very true. Speaking of your tweets, which is what everyone wants to hear about on a podcast. Um, you've tweeted that James Cameron is the coolest man alive. Uh, would you like to make the case for that? I believe that 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 I said that around the time of the the sub imploding, um, which is obviously obviously that's a that's tragedy. That is not the time to be scoring points regarding James Cameron. But James Cameron went on the news um, to talk about the sub imploding. Um, <laughs> you know, James Cameron didn't subscribe to that theory about not scoring well, points. I think he did for quite a few days. Uh, there were, I, I remember there were people reaching out to him and, and, and he was declining comment in, for news articles and people were like, why are they asking James Cameron? And then he went on CNN and there were just an outpouring of people being like, he's just a movie director. Why are they asking James Cameron this? And then the following thing that someone said, you know, you, you would you would watch the interview and realize, well, wait a second, this man has been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Like, uh, and I think there's a there's a um a designer in one of the documentaries who they're talking about designing the subs for the RDA. And he said this designer says, when we were, you know, he goes, like, you know, when we were designing the subs, it, it was kind of a touchy subject. We had to be really on our game because Jim knows so much about subs be from the time that he built one and went to the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. Uh, the darkest and deepest part of the ocean. And I, I don't think that there's another filmmaker you can say that about. Um, no. He said, uh, I think he told the New York Times, it's kind of a quote that's gone around quite a few times, where he said, um, 
I make Avatar to make money to do my expeditions. Uh, mm-hmm. I do not make, I do not <laughs> make Avatar to make money. I, I want to make money to go to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, he has, he is a, he's a famously like, you know, thorny and kind of difficult person, which is part of what I think this movie is about. It's maybe the most personal movie he's ever made in that he told this story a lot on the press tour. It's about um, his, he came back from one of his deep sea expeditions and his kids were waiting for him. And they were like, we've written this letter to you because you're not present and you're not a good dad. And he was like, yeah. Oh, and, did like an intervention with him. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, that's, that's sort of, sort of the Jake Sully story in this movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, but what I admire about him is just his absurd commitment to fulfilling the potential of his absurd ego. Like he, there's no one who, thinks as highly of himself and then continues to prove that maybe he is right to think that highly of himself other than he's, he's the only one doing things like that. <laughs> well said. I didn't watch nearly as many, uh, featurettes and doc making of docs as you, but, um, one of the things I loved is you could see where, you know, he's such the, the maestro and the orchestrator of this whole vision, um, where he would be in some like, far off command center being like move that one centimeter to the left and but he is he's like on the floor with all of them he's like right in the face of the actors there was this amazing um thing where they're getting cliff curtis's mocap when he's like riding the you know Mm -hmm. amphibious gliding thing and cameron is is shooting a nerf gun at him to like try and elicit uh you know the reaction of uh, the the medicaina king dodging bullets um He's, he, he could not be more, like, in the fray of his own vision. I find as a director, I'm much more attuned to the actors because that's all I have to worry about. I'm not distracted by the camera move or the extras in the background. I'm just there for them. That's all I care about. That's all I'm watching. It's an amazing process. It's also the only way to do it. It's the only way to make this film. <sighs> there is that recurring thing of, like, he can do everyone's job. Like... He, he comes on set and he'll he'll tell the gaffer what to do. He'll tell, you know, the best boy what to do. And it'll be like, yeah, he was right, unfortunately. <laughs> like, once again, he just, he, he backs up his ego with talent. You spoke already about how, how deep the performances run in Way of Water, how many characters there are. Do you have a favorite performance, John? On this watch, the two that really jumped out to me were a performance that I'd never thought about before, which is Jamie Flatters as Tam, who is kind of the thankless role of the of the cast, the eldest Sully child. And he is doing, especially if you watch the behind the scenes docs, um, some really incredible, subtle face acting that comes across in the performance. And I did not even realize I had I had kind of absorbed as part of his character. There's a there's a bit in the movie where uh Loak, the the much more like headstrong badass a bit of a bit of a problem child sully kid uh is like we have to go back on the ship we have to rescue spider and natam resists and then you see this like split second smile of like i i wouldn't have done this but i'm glad my brother is making me do this um that reminded me of what might be my favorite performance in the original which is laz alonso as uh sute who uh, has this incredible moment where he's translating for Jake in the big like call to arms. And he, you can, you can see in his eyes and in his smile that he is translating in real time, what is being said and understanding it in real time and getting more and more amped. And that's 
kind of what and that unlocked the character a little bit a character i've struggled with since i first saw it in Teon, um as like a little bit of a little bit of a, a wet blanket in the movie but i sure when i when i thought about it through that sute lens and saw the performance through that that subtle um much more in a in a different movie it would be impossible to tell that they're doing certain things with their face but because the facial capture is so incredible there's something subtle and kind of impressive i think about it the other one i think and i've been once again sore winner but um i think i think sam worthington is is kind of incredible in this movie um Mm. after years of you know, sometimes justified mockery about his accent. And, uh, but I have, I have long since said that I think the first movie is a lot more understanding of his presence as an actor than any other movie he's been in since really. Um, in that, in the sense that that movie is not taking him as seriously as I think people did. He is very much like a kid on a date in the early scenes in that movie where he'll like introduce himself to, Natiri's father in like an embarrassing like you're going yeah. over to girlfriend's house way um uh-huh. on people's tails and stuff the, the the most impressive thing he does in the movie is is be stupid enough to jump from a very high height onto something that isn't looking um <laughs> and, and that's uh and uh but I think in this movie he is there's something about his 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 big old digital navi eyes that they are they're just they're glistening at the right moments he is uh I think he's really quietly great in this movie in a way that once again, it is so difficult to be quietly great when you're buried under layers upon layers of digital makeup. Like the best performances pre avatar in the, in the realm of performance capture, I think are probably like Andy circus as Gollum. And um, I would say Bill Nye in the, in the pirates movies, both of whom are playing like big theatrical roles that are they're playing to the cheap seats. They're they're getting out from under the 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 digital digital makeup is what Cameron calls it, as much as they are, as it is helping them. And and in these movies, I think the opposite is true. Stay out of trouble. Right. It was my fault. Yeah, I don't think so. You've got to stop taking the heat for this knucklehead. That's what the other guys look like. Worse. That's good. A lot worse. Get out of here. If I was gonna. Toss one out. I would say uh, Cliff Curtis is Tonawari, who's the king of the king of the Minakaina, because I I may not be quite as tuned in to some of the subtleties as you. I think sometimes, whether it's the mocap or the script, um, a lot of times the characters are playing one thing very hard, and I think that Tonawari is like almost inherently conflicted from the very moment you meet him, because he is like trying to be a good host he sees that the sullies are in trouble he is of course getting this creeping sense that like this is not good for us like these people shouldn't be here and like these kids are these kids are wild i invited these kids to my house and they're breaking things um but i don't want to kick them out and he is kind of able to play that especially in that great scene which reminded me of i mean speaking of the kids broke something in my house thing that idea of like someone having to talk to and discipline someone else's kid when loak like bonds with uh bonds with the tolkoon and he's just like listen like hear me young man i'm gonna tell you the story of this creature this is not how this works Mm -hmm. um and i feel like he gets he gets a lot of uh it's a lot of layered conflict in into that performance. I like it a lot. Yeah, you're touching on something that I think is what makes both of these movies powerful 
for me and powerful i would hesitate to speak for the the many people who have seen them in theaters to get them to two billion dollars but i think what gives them the universal appeal which is that even when you're making a movie about these blue cat people and the ocean and these psychic whales and the rda etc cetera, etc cetera, this movie is very much a movie about a family moving to a new town like that it's as simple as that and yeah. uh and then when you when you can unwrap all of those you know, bigger sci-fi ideas, but like the original, which got pegged as like dances with Smurfs or whatever, it takes a story you're familiar with and it uses that understanding to get you on board with all of these much more ridiculous things. Given how much making of you watched, you watched Inside Pandora's Box and Capturing Avatar. John, was there any any other favorite tidbits or behind the scenes stuff that you just have to shout out? The thing that blew my mind was this there's a famous like tennis ball on a stick that that were that used to be used to uh, give actors eyelines to work opposite CG characters, and they didn't want to do that on this one because Spider has so many scenes where he's interacting and having long dialogue scenes with the main characters of the movie. So they they took the technology that um, cameras are used during football games to kind of whiz around the field, and they built this wire system above the set so that the what they call the spider cam which is like an espn camera would duplicate the movements of sigourney weaver's character or low ock and it would have a little like iphone on the back of sigourney's face cam so she would be delivering the lines to spider and uh and then move the the just whiz throughout the rest of the set in um the way that it would over a football field and i was like well, that's just like unhinged. It, it, they keep saying <laughs> things like we couldn't, we couldn't figure out how to do this, so we had to invent our own technology. And that sounds like you're patting yourself on the back, but y- you keep coming back to like that is something that who would do that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So I want to break down the the Avatar has no cultural impact thing, which is, is something that I think people started. I started. I think started hearing it well before Way of Water was coming out. It was just one of those things where people look back on movies from 10 years ago and they're like, well, no one ever talks about this, which also is kind of true of like all movies from 10 years ago. There's a real uh, blind spot around, or just some kind of discursive dead spot around movies that came out that long ago. Um, But then, of course, that turned out to be kind of a financially debunked (laughs) conversation because, you know, Avatar 2 made two billion dollars and four oscar nominations and you know people largely really liked it um but i suppose what i wanted to assess with you is not does that conversation have any merit but like when people say that what do they mean by cultural impact are we are we used to a kind of like blockbuster discourse that only has to do with like story tendrils and avatar doesn't provide that and thus there's nothing to talk about you know i'm putting nothing to talk about in quotes except like i don't know except for the three-hour movie that you just watched and hopefully enjoyed what do you think of all this it's like a it was a frustrating conversation for a long time now i found it kind of interesting especially because the people that in my opinion, like they lost the conversation when the movie made $2 billion. Uh, like at, at that point, I would throw in the towel. <laughs> but there are still people who every couple of weeks will just kind of throw it on. And I find it like sociologically interesting where I'm like, why? What, what is so stressful and upsetting about these movies being successful, but not being constantly, constantly talked about? Because that's kind of what I like about Avatar. <laughs> like, uh, 
I think our our pop culture, especially when it's surrounding these massive two billion dollar, two hundred fifty million dollar budgeted movies, is so it gets annoying. I don't want to talk about these movies all the time. So the fact that a Top Gun or an Avatar can can come out and make two billion dollars and and then just go back to being something your dad talks about at Thanksgiving, but not really anybody else. I think that's nice. I don't know. That's what movies used to be like. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack. Like, like you're saying, the main thing that I always think about is just like, to me, if you, it happened with Wonka the other day, I saw someone say that Wonka had no cultural impact, even though it had made five, it made, it, it hit 500 million. And someone tweeted like, I don't know anyone who's seen it to me. That's just like, you're not talking to people. Like I, I right. know people who have seen every movie. <laughs> I know, uh-huh. I know people who saw five nights at Freddy's. I didn't see five minutes at Freddy's, but I know that there were people who saw it like, right. Um, but I, I do think it's just a matter of there are everyday people who don't talk about movies every day who may see, you know, three or four movies a year. My girlfriend works often in, in Appalachia. Um, and she, there's a, there's an old man that she works with and somehow avatar came up. This guy lives in like West Virginia and, uh, doesn't see movies. Avatar came up in a conversation at work and and he leaned over to her and he went, I like those dragons that they ride. And she was like, she, she texted me immediately. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's it. He remember he may not remember the name of the main character of, of avatar. You know, they say it a lot. So if you say you don't remember Jake Sully, I don't believe you because they say it constantly, but, um, but it doesn't really like, he remembered that there were dragons and he remembered that they rode the dragons. Like that's right. I think that's it. I think that's the end of the conversation. There are there are so many people who don't think about movies. It's such a like coastal elite conversation almost. Like this bubble. Like get out of your bubble. Both the times I've seen Way of Water, the one thing that really gave me pause was how Quaritch, um, now in his in his break in case of my untimely death navi body um how successfully he and his team uh quote like go full navi without any of the emotional spiritual connection to pandora like they all are able to uh you know tame their own leonopteryx they are by virtue of their biology able to kind of hack the the immune response of of the planet itself so they can avoid detection um and I suppose it never really, it didn't sat, sit right with me because there's just such this reverence for the way this planet and this ecosystem work. And these guys are able to basically just force it. And I was curious, is that a calm down and watch Avatar 3 chance kind of thing and see where this goes? Or is that uh, an interesting grievance at all? The The main thing that I think is the reason that Jake didn't, immediately go to tame the ikran in the first movie isn't that he couldn't it's that the navi and natiri told him he wasn't ready he hadn't been on a spiritual journey but there's there's really nothing preventing him in that first movie from going to just you know like quarge does just punch it in the face and uh and i think what is interesting about the journey that quarge is on without getting into like you know speculation too much but i i feel pretty firmly that this movie cues him up for if not a redemption then some kind of redemptive journey some kind of some kind of heel turn in in some sense um and the idea that he unlike jake who falls in love with pandora and then you know becomes the the chief of the omatakaya turok makto etc 
Quaritch is going at it from the reverse angle of like, I'm going to take this over, you know, by force. And then the fact that, as I feel is is probably the case, Awa and Pandora are going to win him over um, is sort of a backwards trajectory. Um, like Jake says at the beginning of the movie, uh, the most dangerous thing about Pandora is that you make her to love her too much. I, I think that's telegraphing something about Quaritch that we haven't quite reached yet. All right, listen up. Jake Sully's going to ground. Don't matter. Wherever he is, we'll find him. And his batshit crazy wife, too. <laughs> to do so, we go Navi. Full tilt all the way. That means we eat Navi, we ride Navi, think Navi. You just went from being our monkey mascot to official interpreter. I guess I'll go to the next one. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to move on to five silly questions. I got to pick up the pace here a little bit. Yeah, Is that yeah. all right? Of course. Um, all right, John. So when it comes to rising out of the water shots in this movie, do you prefer Rhea's, I find sort of hilarious Baywatch shot that is sort of like Loak being like, <gasps> or uh, Jake Sully's Apocalypse Now shot at the end? With I the know you show. just said we have to pick up the pace, but the first thing I do want to say is just to tie back to my Jamie Flatter's Nateam uh, thing, the 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 shot of Loak going like a wooga, there's a great little bit. If you focus on Jamie Flatter's character, he's yeah. looking over at Loak and being like, this kid, he's, but... Oh yeah. It's a very good little moment. Um, I'm going to have to say the Jake shot because like, like many a James Cameron visual effects shot, um, the T-1000 in, in Terminator 2, the um, pretty much anything in the original Avatar, um, Titanic in its entirety, et cetera. It just makes me, my head hurt just to think about like the, the water on the skin, the water itself, which is entirely CG in most of these shots. Um, the fire? Just, yeah, the fire in the background, which you see in the behind the scenes is like partially a screen that is then uh, digitally generated by animators. Um, it just it, it truly I just am like, how do you how do you even start with a situation like that? Um, so rewatching next question, rewatching the original Avatar. One of the things that was mind blowing is the grace Sigourney Weaver's scientist character is just blasting cigs all day long. And we've lost this from the culture. It's great for our lung health. But <laughs> uh, I was just like, is this the last character in like a billion dollar franchise to just like smoke all day? And I want to know, do you think that has anything to do with Curie's powers in this movie? Well, John Landau has talked about how I think Avatar 5 is going to return to Earth. So... I'm thinking there might be like a kind of exciting moment where Kiri finds a pack of cigarettes on earth and there's like a, it's yeah. You know, like, uh, do you remember the lion King remake where they have the baboon? Okay. If you Thankfully I do not. <laughs> okay. The baboon in the lion King has like a moment where he finds like his stick and he brings it out of the tree and he's like my old friend. And I'll never forget oh, that. Oh yeah. He's like what? What is it? It's a stick. Um, That's a thing in the Lion King remake is Rafiki finds his iconic stick. It's a big, yeah. It's like, here it is, the stick. So maybe Kiri will find a pack of camel cigarettes and it'll be like, wow. You know, I mean, 
I love that idea. Earth's clearly in a bad state. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe cigarettes are making a comeback. A small thing that I do want to say is that all of the cigarettes in, in Avatar are digitally created. They are all CG. Are they? Yes. There's a deleted scene of Sigourney Weaver once again blasting a cig, and it is a toothpick. Um, because James Cameron wanted the character to smoke, but didn't want to make Sigourney smoke. But, you know, like on Mad Men, they famously like smoke uh, like clove herbal cigarettes or whatever. Do we think that those are also bad for you? Did Sigourney not want to smoke those? Or is this just James Cameron being like, "Never, well, we can do that too. Toss it on the pile. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it feels like a very uh, James Cameron being a vegan living in New Zealand on his farm and being like, I want no cigarettes on my set of any kind. But that's fair. I'm not going to. Maybe that's not true. <laughs> it's a character flaw in me how much i love to watch people smoke um it's so cool okay uh most underrated aspect of way of water here we go um stephen lang once again being treated <laughs> just as an outright movie star uh james cameron giving away free diving tips sigourney weaver convincingly playing a 14 year old um and one that added at the last minute over 60% of the box office for Way of Water being 3D when, like, who gives a shit about 3D in 2022? Which of these do you find to be the most, uh, we'll say, underrated achievement of the movie? I didn't know the 3D facts, so I'm going to have to go with that. Um, I think like 66%. I think a few of these are properly rated because, like, Sigourney Weaver did win Best Supporting Actress at the Academy Awards last year for this performance. So, like... She did? No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was, <laughs> no. It no, was, she should have. It was Jamie no, Lee Curtis. For, yeah, it was Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, all right. Anyway. I won't yeah, no, I, I think it has to be the 3D because the other, the other ones, I feel like they're getting their credit. James Cameron, free diving. We're all talking about it. <laughs> it's all we talk about. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, the preponderance of bro and cuz. When the when the kids speak to each other, uh, do we need to just admit that this going back to like John Connor, Edward Furlong is the way that James Cameron teenagers speak to each other? Or is this a is this how 15 year olds everywhere talk to each other? And I am just 10 million years old. Well, let's not forget that this is several hundred years into the future. So maybe it's a big there's a big comeback. But what I would say is that this to me definitely reads as how Jake Selby's kids would speak. Um, That's the vibe that he's giving me. Oh, okay. You think he taught them bro and cuz? I think he might have, yeah. No, that's that classic, uh, you know, North England by way of Brooklyn uh, vernacular. Of course. Um, one I was really excited about, John, if James Cameron were to make a Fableman's type memoir movie, what would you what would you want to see in that joint? I think you mean a Belfast type. Um, I, of Bel- course, yes. Yeah. Which also won Best Picture at the Oscars. Of course, year, yeah. I seem to recall. I think... So I think the obvious answer, and it's a little older, is to say to just make a movie about the production of The Abyss, which would be like a like a really harrowing story. But it's a 90 hour movie of water filling a tank. But if you're doing a more classical, like you said, Fableman's or or Belfast style, like, you know, starting with him as a kid, there's an excerpt from Rebecca Keegan's great book, The Futurist, um, that I that I I think I just have to read. I don't know how much time we have left, but very do it up. Um. As a child, Cameron was sometimes too smart for his own good. At the end of first grade, his teacher called his mother in to explain that her son was going to be held back. She said he can't read, he can't do anything, he just sits and looks out the window. 
Shirley recalls. I said, you can't read, Jim? He gets this smirk on his face. He knows I know he can read. Shirley asked her son to pick up any book on the teacher's desk. He selected a science text and began reading aloud about the species of the Pleistocene era. The teacher's jaw dropped. She said, why didn't you tell me you could read? He said, if you think I'm just going to sit there and read C-Spot Run all day long. I was so mad at that kid. So I think that has to be in there. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Way to go to the text. Okay. Um... A segment uh, for which you are the guinea pig, I'm afraid to say. It's called Truth or Trivia. It's, okay. uh, it's six questions. Um, the truth ones are, you know, they're maybe interesting questions from you as a film person. Uh, trivia is trivia about the movie. There's six questions. I'd love you to pick four. So truth or trivia, John, what do you want to start with? So are, are these, do I have to answer correctly? Are these... It, w- it would be nice if you answered trivia okay, question okay, correctly, okay. but I won't. You know, if you don't, it's fine. Give me, uh, give me truth, I guess. Okay. What's the best place to see a movie in New York City? It, boy, it depends on which movie. Um, well, the best, best theater. Okay. Best... I, if I'm seeing Avatar The Way of Water, you have to go with the AMC Lincoln Square IMAX. Nice. Good yeah. answer. Uh, truth or trivia? Trivia. So... The Taruk has a facial feature, a distinct facial feature in common with the Tolkun, the whale. Do you know what, what facial feature they have in common? I'm going to say they have four eyes. They both have four eyes. Excellent. Wow. Uh, all right, another one. Truth or trivia? What do you want? Okay, I'm going to say truth. Um, can you give me one person or franchise, not Avatar-related, that gives you hope for the future of blockbuster filmmaking? I think it has to be Christopher Nolan this year, the year that he got a three-hour movie about a physicist to $900 million worldwide. It's a fair answer. I'm going to force you into trivia on the last one because I really okay, want to ask please. this question. Yeah. Um, one of the most iconic characters from the first Avatar movie has to be the Get Some guy. Yes. Who shoots things and yells, Get Some. I bet you actually know that guy's name. Do you know that character's name? Is it Lyle Wainfleet who comes back <laughs> in this one? He might. Yeah, it might that's be. right. It is? I think, I think that's right. Okay. Um, okay. I thought he's, that was he's the, the one who like calms Quaritch down, right? He's like, It's me. Yeah. It's Wainfleet. Yeah. yeah uh, no, the question is he, only, he gets off only one Get Some. In the mm. sequel, do you know in what context Wayne Fleet says, get some in Way of Water? Is it when Quaritch tames the, the Ikram? That's exactly right. Yeah, okay. Colonel, get some. <laughs> okay, uh, John, so I have to ask you before we leave, the capper on this Superior Sequels uh, series is the release of Dune 2, with the question being, will this be a Superior Sequel? We'll decide at the time. Um, but I'm asking everyone who comes on the show, uh, what are your expectations for Dune 2? Do you care about the Dune movies? Are you psyched? How are you feeling? I love the first Dune. I love the book. Um, and the first one was this one of those movie-going experiences where I was like, I never saw The Fellowship of the Ring um, in theaters because I was four years old. But um, I have to assume that that's how it felt to just kind of be like, oh, I've read this book and this book is just on the screen now. There's there's very little that I would quibble with in that movie other than I saw it with my father who loves Dune. And uh, at the end of the movie, he was like, it's over. And I was like, yeah, they're making another one. And he was like, oh, 
and I was so amazed that because he falls asleep in the middle of anything, um, that he was still awake two and a half hours later and thought there was like a full hour left of the movie and was happy, was happy with that idea. Um, the one thing that I'm I'm concerned about um is the non-presence of Aaliyah in these trailers. Uh I I need to know if the creepy daughter of um you know, I'm not as up on my Dune lore as I am on my Avatar lore, but she is she is the product of, you know, that some kind of ceremony, right? She drinks the water of life, and then she has a child, and the child knows far too much about the world. Oh, and yeah, right. In any of the trailers, um, I have to assume they're either keeping her under wraps, maybe she's some kind of digital effect that isn't done yet, or maybe she's not in the movie, and then I'd be a little mad. But um, But I do have a quote from James Cameron about dune because i think the avatar movies have a lot in common with dune uh hell yeah bring it on uh yeah he said he said it's a beautiful book and he told denis villeneuve to his face other filmmakers have tried to pay proper homage to it and not succeeded i just want to say it up front i think you're the first to truly succeed so that's a little bit of shade to david lynch but i think he'll be okay um and uh, i think I, I do agree with that I, it's become sort of a basic take i think i know that there's a big contingent of David Lynch Dune is actually good, but I'm not I'm not there yet. Sure. I think David Lynch's Dune could be construed as interesting. Definitely but, interesting. But a little but bit of yeah. a bummer in my in my eyes. Oh yeah. Doesn't David Lynch agree with that? Sure, but I disagree with people about movies all the time. I'm never gonna sure. if someone is like I love David Lynch, I'm not I'm never gonna be like, well, David Lynch disagrees with you because No, <laughs> I mean doesn't David Lynch isn't he perfectly willing to be like my version of Dune was? Oh, was... he's not happy with that. Yeah, he wanted right. He wanted other things, but that's yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I suppose that yeah, that streak goes both ways. Someone could be like, "Well, I don't listen to your opinion when I don't like the movie." So I love this movie, David. <laughs> um, John, this is so much fun. Your your expertise on the Avatar movies is undeniable, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing quotes from books. Um, what I'm what not... is reading? james cameron books for if not bringing them on podcasts about james cameron i love it um is there anything that you would like to to plug uh where people people can find you on on the website formerly known as twitter where you're posting about the avatar films all the time yeah i am i am at john delillo on twitter spelled the same as my name um i am trying to post less on twitter due to it being horrible for my mental health and everyone's mental health but because I watched both of the Avatar movies and a copious amount of bonus features, I was just posting up about Avatar this week, a lot of clips. So, and that was fun. And it kind of made me go, maybe I should just post about Avatar on here. So, it's, it's one way to survive the mental grind of social media is just to commit to a thing. Yeah. So if, if you liked my appearance on this podcast, then, then I will, I will post more about Avatar on, on Twitter.com, I guess. <laughs> I liked your appearance in this podcast. And I thank you very much for your time, sir. Of course. Anytime. Anytime.